Hey everybody, you are listening to the Accelerate Performance Lab podcast, hosted by Accelerate's Director of Experimental Science and Social Media Manager, Riley Witt. You are about to hear from some of the world's leading experts in sports performance and human optimization. From elite scientists to world-class coaches, this is the place to be to accelerate your performance. So, as always, sit back, buckle up, enjoy the ride. Here we go. Well, do I have the conversation for you? I originally sat down with Mike, or the Heal Your Gut Guy on Instagram and YouTube, to talk about the role the gut microbiome plays in athletic performance and how we can use it to better our ability to recover and perform on race day. But the conversation took a complete different turn as we talked about emotional intelligence and how past traumas or stressful events can lead to injury or have a negative impact on our performance. So stay with us as the conversation jumps around a little bit, but I think it's worth it as there's lots of information to gather from this insightful conversation. Before we dive into the science behind gut health and athletic performance, what's your story? Why did you get so interested in gut health? It's kind of a niche topic. Why gut health? Yeah. So I got into gut health about 10 years ago because I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I got diagnosed with Crohn's uh, right out of college. But before that, I had lots of digestive issues. Just they weren't bad enough to go to the doctor for. Um, Yeah, I was just always underweight. And so after college, my Crohn's symptoms really started to get out of control. And I tried the drugs and all that stuff. And none of that was helping. Um, so I just literally tried everything until I got it under control. Okay. So a a niche illness, but it's, it's really interesting. You, you see most of like the well-known people in each space all have like a, like their background, like villain story, you know, like Mm -hmm. this happened to me. Therefore I dove head over heels into the topic and I kind of just like pursued it constantly. So I'm excited for this conversation. So There are these billions of little things inside of us just living, making up our gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. What is the gut microbiome and what are these billions of things doing in our, or where are they living, I guess, and and why are they there? Yeah, so I have a really unpopular opinion to this. Okay. (laughs) So when I first started, it was all about the gut microbiome. All right, I'm going to take this probiotic. I'm going to take this disinfectant. You know, I'm like... I went to the store and I bought Candida. You can go online and buy E. coli, Candida, tuberculosis. You can go buy it for, it's like 10 bucks. <laughs> and so I, I bought Candida. I grew it on a piece of bread. And then I tested different antifungals on it to see what would kill it the best. And so I found that oregano oil, essential oil killed it in like one drop. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make up this protocol. I'm going to take one drop, you know, one drop of this three times a day every single day for a month. And then every single meal is going to be filled with probiotics. And then, you know, that should fix my gut microbiome. It didn't. And so kind of the basis of what I do now, it's based in something called German new medicine. And the guy who created this, he could look at someone's brain CT scan and know exactly what was wrong with the person. He could look at my brain scan and go, okay, um, all right. He probably has a perianal fistula. He has something going on in his small intestine. He could look at someone else's brain CT scan and go, okay, this person's probably overweight. And this per- person probably has lung cancer. Our whole body is controlled by our brain. 
including our gut microbiome. And so what he found is essentially what's, what these diseases are, our brain is putting organs into overdrive to help us overcome a conflict shock, a stressful, like a stressful thing in our life, a stressful conflict in our life. And so for the gut, the gut is going to develop extra gut cells to help us digest and absorb this hard to digest thing in our life. And then the bacteria and fungi help remove those extra gut cells. So if someone has a messed up gut microbiome for a very long time, then they haven't fully come to peace with this conflict. And for me, it was my parents taking away my Nintendo when I was little. In order to keep the podcast running smooth, I cut out the middle section of our conversation. I now jump in with a question regarding the gut-brain access. And once again, the conversation makes a little bit of a turn, which I think is very interesting and worth a listen. You keep saying, okay, it might not be as much of the gut as it is the brain. Now there mm-hmm. is the gut brain access. What is the gut brain access and how can we kind of utilize that in our benefit for optimal health and athletic performance? I would not follow that idea and okay. that it's, it is a two way street. So like, look at it this way. Like if someone punches you in the gut, <laughs> A signal is going to get sent from the gut to the brain, and then the brain's going to make some calculations like, hey, what should we do? Get inflamed, do this, do that. And it's going to send a signal back telling the gut what to do. The, the gut doesn't have a brain. I know they call it the second brain, but I, there's no brain there. The, the, your brain controls everything in your body. If your gut is hurt, I guess your brain has to do some extra calculations. But people with digestive issues, you know, whatever it is, it is, it is caused by a conflict shock. I've seen some pretty serious cases due to, so for example, one guy, um, he was really good at football. He's from Florida and it was senior year of high school. And I guess he got tackled or like football was his life. He had no backup plan. And I guess he got hit in the arm and it shattered his arm bone that like shattered it. And he's like, he was really sad about it. And he went and he got the surgery. And when he woke up, he remembers his doctor telling him like, yeah, dude, it was a mess in there. You're not playing college football. And this just destroyed him, like destroyed him. He was so sad and depressed for months. When we look at this from a German new medicine perspective, he he was trying to digest football or digest his new career, whatever, whatever he, he was like, he needed to find like a new path in life. And so the gut was developing extra gut cells to help him digest this new way in his life. And so a few months later, he found a new job. He decided he was like going to be a mechanic and he got the job. I think he worked there for a few weeks. He got his first paycheck and he went to celebrate with his sister at a restaurant. And that night is when the bloody diarrhea started because he was, he was celebrating his new life path. It's always some traumatic event that that starts off the colitis. And when you talk to people about this, they're, they're going to deny it. Like, Oh, my life is perfect. Oh, the, you know, I'm not stressed out about anything, but usually it kind of shows as like almost this repressed anger and frustration with something. So uh, there's a lot of studies or information out there where trauma does have effect on our biology. Mm-hmm. There is, I mean, epigenetics, there are past traumas that you inherit almost from your parents. So that could be even something that your parents have have experienced. 
But in what ways would you go about identifying that stressor in your life and going about changing it for the better? So here's another story of somebody that I talked to. Uh, He worked in the circus. And so that's a very physically demanding job. And one of the things he had to do was to, you know, catch the people as they're flying through the air. And so one day he did that, but the, but he dropped the person and they like, they luckily the person fell, but it was like a close call. You know, he was just so embarrassed and oh my God, like I, I need to catch this person. After this event, he started to get tendonitis and his hands were starting to hurt. He, he was devaluing his hands. And when we do a self-devaluation conflict, it affects the bones and the joints and for him, it was his hands because he did everything. He was, he would juggle, he would juggle knives and stuff. You know, his hands were super important to him and he was always devaluing them because he's like, Oh, I'm getting old. My hands aren't working like they used to. And it caused this process of cell loss and then cell restoration in the hands. And so someone who plays a sport, I play, you know, you play soccer, like, Oh, I can't kick the ball hard enough. I can't run fast enough. Like there's all sorts of ways we can really devalue ourselves, you know, playing a sport if we don't perform that the way we want to. It, th- these are new concepts. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, explain them at their, at their simplest level. Well, I think it's not a new idea. Uh, there's no arguing that f- emotional trauma also affects the physical entity. Our body and mm-hmm. our emotions are not separate. Our emotions clearly affect our biology and our physiology and, and all of the processes beyond. So there's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's crazy to say that that f- emotional trauma affects the physical yeah. at all. So let's say we've we've kind of identified what has caused this, this trauma in our life. What, how would we go about relieving it is it more of like a confidence thing like a self-confidence or what's some tactics that we could use to kind of get around it and kind of jump over that hurdle and and yeah so the first step is to identify it and and so like this is it's a little tricky with sports so let's say like what sport do you focus on running track track yep all right so let's say your foot starts to hurt right Mm -hmm. and you're like i didn't roll my ankle. I don't get it. Like, why is my foot hurting? And it, it kind of just spirals out of control. Like, oh, my, my foot's hurting like crazy. Uh, like, I don't get it. What I would do with a person like that is go, okay. All right. When did your foot start hurting? And they would go, oh, I don't know. Well, I say, well, okay, well, remember, <laughs> was it high school? Was it in high school? Was it in college? Was it freshman year, senior year? And they go, oh, okay. Yeah. Sophomore year. Okay. What happened sophomore year? Okay. Oh, nothing. Okay. Come on. All right. What, what, what were you doing? Were you dating a girl? What, what sports were you playing? Were you playing soccer? Were you playing football? Oh, you're playing American football. Okay, great. So what happened? And then they, and then eventually something would come out is, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm a kicker. I'm a kicker for the football team. And we were about to win the championship and I kicked the ball. It went off the side goalpost and we lost and it was all my fault. And it was my damn foot. I just, I couldn't control my foot. Those are the types of situations that can cause foot problems. I never took sports that seriously, but I have seen some people not make the varsity high school team and they're borderline suicidal because that's how important it was to them. So 
you know, the people, you know, they fail a test in school and now they can't be on the team. Stuff like that can cause serious health issues. For me, I, I don't care. I, I, ne- I never wanted to play serious hockey, like whatever. But like, it's, it's all on the person's perception. It sounds like you're doing some pretty like high level stuff. I, I don't think the average person realize how much dedication a, a sports person has to put into their craft. And then it's over in one second if they injure themselves. You don't know what that does to a person mentally. I, I've been playing hockey 20 years and I just broke my foot. My hockey career is over and I don't know what to do with my life. Or they just miss the team and, you know, they're like, okay, again, I'll try next year, you know, depending on how that affects somebody. So it, you, in German new medicine, we all, we, we start with the symptoms and move backward from there. It is an interesting way of kind of looking at injuries more from not just a, a, a physiological or biological yeah. way, but also like a psychological way. Like, yeah. am I kind of increasing the intensity or even is it completely sparked by emotions? So what would you say to somebody who's kind of going through an injury and they've kind of pinpointed like or identified why it's happened. Um, how would you kind of work through that? So we're kind of, so we kind of work backwards from the symptoms. So uh, let's say you wake up one morning and your hip is just like, oh, and you're like, I only ran one mile yesterday. I didn't squat too much. You know, I didn't even squat yesterday. It's so sore. I'm so tight. Like what's going on with that person? I'd be like, okay, you either devalued your hip or it could be like, I can't, bear this load. So sometimes my hip will hurt because I I'm like devaluing myself. I go, it's like, it's usually during a move. Like when I'm moving house, it's like, Oh, I'm getting like, I got to do all this moving stuff and I can't keep up with my YouTube channel and my business and all this stuff. And I swear to God, when things are all set up and I throw away the last box, I, I already know like my, my hip is going to hurt. And it's like, I, I feel overwhelmed, you know, mine's not that serious in order for me to like figure it out. But for my gut issues, like I could get angry about something or get frustrated or annoyed about something. And then right when it's happening, like I have to go to the bathroom. And so when that happens, you go, okay, how does this relate back to my original conflict? So this morning the cat was screaming or something. And then my girlfriend was asking me questions and then she gave me food and or something like that. And I like, I like the second she set the food on the table, I was doing something. I was like making a video, trying to get the video done. The second she set the food on the table, I had to go to the bathroom. And I was like, I was like, oh, so when I was younger, you know, I'd be playing video games and my mom would be like, Mike, come eat lunch. I'd be like, no, I'm busy. Mike, come eat lunch. And then I would die in the video game and get super mad. And so it's, it's just the sub, like it's, my brain is just seeing the same situation play out over again. And so I just need to recognize that and be like, Hey, subconscious brain, we can let go of this. And so there are different techniques we can use. Like, so I would go back into the past, try to dig up these old memories of, you know, my parents yelling at me for playing too many video games and, and, you know, just reprocess those memories. We, We see, we see the world through a lens of the past And so we go into these back past memories and a lot of them are repressed and and we change them. And in turn, that kind of changes some of our beliefs. 
So, so is there a way that we can kind of get into or dive into our subconscious mind and switch that subconscious programming? Because there's there's clearly a, a programming yeah. that's kind of not helping us in any way. It's kind of just a protective mechanism at all. Is there yeah. some way that we can go into there and just like switch it off? Yeah, you know, the best way to do that is to locate the memory that cr- created that belief or that's tied to that organ going in and out of overdrive and changing it. And so for me, most of my gut issues stemmed from an event where the summer had just started. We'd just gotten a Nintendo 64 and my brother broke his arm, jumping off the roof, trying to impress some girl. (laughs) And my dad was super angry at us. And he took the Nintendo away for the whole summer, like right at the beginning of the summer. Like I lost my mind. So for gut issues, it's something important to my survival was, was threatened. Like I couldn't, I couldn't digest and absorb it anymore. They took it away. And and that, and that process was just always on and off, on and off all the way through middle school, high school, and even college. Well, I mean, it seems silly. Like you, you say that you're like, (laughs) yeah, how can, how can that like change your whole like life trajectory? Like, how is it going to give you this severe illness? But if you really think about it, your brain cannot determine an actual physical stress and something as silly as your dad taking away something that you really like or you wanting to live up to your expectations. So sure. People could be like, this guy is crazy. What is he talking about? He thinks his gut issues are being caused by a past trauma, but your, your brain just cannot determine that. It's always girlfriend, boyfriend, job promotion, something, money, business deals for me, video games, football, hockey, like it's always something. Um, yeah, it's people won't admit it at first. And I didn't admit it at first. The subconscious Mm -hmm. is, is vast and we, we just don't know what's all being kept in there. That's causing problems. Yeah. Are there any like types of, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there's hypnosis, you know, again, I want to stress the importance of targeting the correct memory. I'm like, we're looking for the, the right thing, which is a skill in itself journaling journaling really reorganizes your brains there's i think it's emdr where you're like looking Mm. from side to side there's nlp techniques there's like the reframe technique there's the rewind technique there there's the tapping eft tapping and then there's just there's talk therapy I guess, you, I guess that's what it's called. You just, someone like a therapist guides you to, to kind of come to resolution with it. So there's exposure therapy. There, there are lots of different therapies, but you know, if we have a memory, you know, how do we change a memory from being negative to good? It's like, Oh, Oh, that seems like a really tough question. <laughs> so literally all you do is you remove the negative aspects and you increase the positive aspects. And that might seem hard to do, But I I think we take for granted that no one's really recognized for their greatness unless they've had to go through like a lot of hardships. So like a lot of these failures and, you know, these things that we've done bad on and failed on, it's part of being great. In what ways can we kind of lean on those failures and and understand that they're vital to our success without letting them turn into or manifest, I guess, their way into a injury or a physical illness. So, so I just want to make a distinction between a normal failure, like, ah, I messed up versus mm. 
a conflict shock where it's like it really hits you and you know it almost changes your personality in some ways like it really affects you failing is how we learn it's like hands-on learning uh, i don't know if you've heard of the book outliers by malcolm gladwell but he had like this rule uh i, I remember i went to like a hockey coaching camp and they were like look you're coaching kids like you got to be patient it's going to take them 10 tries just to understand what you're saying <laughs> It's going to take a hundred times for them to be kind of good at it. And then it's going to take a thousand tries for them to have some sort of mastery. And I'm not, I don't even want to say the word mastery, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, like YouTubers and what, like they, you don't like these guys obsess about this stuff. They spend tons. I think we have this unrealistic expectation from like TVs and films to to get like the average shot you see in a film. It's like 20 takes. Mm-hmm. With an army of people who have been making films for like their whole life. Like it, it, you know, I think we take for granted how much effort, you know, some of these things take. With the last few minutes here, if people want to learn more about this topic, where should they go to learn more? Yeah, guys. So I help people get better from like Crohn's, colitis, IBS, and I have a YouTube channel. That's where most of my content is. Yeah, just go over there and consume my free content. I do have kind of like a paid course, like a paid program. It's called the 13-Day Protocol of the Four-Step Mic Method. And I don't have it on me right now, but like there's like 13 days where we learn this material together and you, you kind of have, it's like kind of like a workbook. And as we do these exercises, we're like, we're, re, we're rewiring the trauma in the brain. So the brain's not telling the the gut to go into overdrive every time, you know, I get frustrated about something. If you just watch my YouTube channel, like most people just get better watching the free stuff on my YouTube channel. Yeah. We'll, we'll put all those links in the description or in the show notes down here in, in our Instagram. So, well, I appreciate your time today, uh, Mike. I really appreciate it. And I thought this episode was going to go a certain way and went a complete different <laughs> way, but I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. thank you for coming on the show today. This whole conversation with Mike reminded me of the book, The Body Keeps a Score. And as we close today, I'm going to leave you with a short clip of that book. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of the Accelerate Performance Lab podcast, and I'll see you again next week. The most important thing to know is that there's a difference between trauma and stress. As I like to say to people, life sucks a good amount of the time. We all have jobs and situations that are really unpleasant. But the moment that that situation is over, it's over. The problem with trauma is that when it's over, your body continues to relive it. My name is Bessel van der Kolk. I'm a psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and author of the book, The Body Keeps Its Core. I got interested in trauma on my first day working at the Veterans Administration. 1978 was the year, and the Vietnam War was over by about six or seven years. The very first day that I met Vietnam veterans, I was just blown away. These were guys who were my age, who were clearly smart and competent and athletic. 
And they clearly were just a shadow of their former self. Their bodies were clearly affected by trauma. And they had a very hard time connecting with new people after the war. Around that time, a group of us started to define what trauma is. And in the definition of PTSD, we write, these people have been exposed to an extraordinary event that is outside of normal human experience. In retrospect, that shows us how ignorant and narrow-minded we were. Because it turned out that this is not an unusual experience at all. So unlike what we first thought, trauma is actually extremely common. There's a lot of debate of what a trauma is to this day. But basically, trauma is something that happens to you that makes you so upset that it overwhelms you. But the trauma is not the event that happens. The trauma is how you respond to it. One of the largest mitigating factors against getting traumatized is who is there for you at that particular time. When, as a kid, you get bitten by a dog, it's really very scary and very nasty. But if your parents pick you up and say, oh, I see that you're really in bad shape, let me help you. That dog bite doesn't become a big issue because the foundation of your safety has not been destroyed. We are profoundly interdependent people. And as long as our relationships are intact, by and large, we're pretty good with trauma. It's a subjective experience, and what may be traumatic for you may not be traumatic for me, depending on our personality and our prior experiences. The problem with trauma is that it starts off with something that happens to us, but that's not where it stops, because it changes your brain. Much of the imprint of trauma is in that very primitive survival part of your brain that I like to call the cockroach brain. There's a part of you that just picks up what's dangerous and what's safe. And when you're traumatized, that little part of your brain, which is usually very quiet, continues to just send messages. I'm in danger. I'm not safe. That event itself is over, but you continue to react to things as if you're in danger. We are talking about survival. We are talking about staying alive. And so some people go into fight flight, or on a more primitive level, people's brain shuts down and they collapse. You have these automatic responses that are not a product of your cognitive assessment, they're a product of your animal brain trying to stay alive in the face of something that that part of your brain interprets as a life threat. <laughs> 